a good enough Christian? And Paul's response is to rejoice in God's work among them, to praise Christ who has done all, and to draw their attention to see very clearly that what the world despises is God's glorious undertaking to rescue them. And in this paragraph, he organizes what's, what he's doing. When he speaks of don't be deluded by plausible arguments, that's what he does in chapter 2. We'll get there. We'll, we'll go through that. Chapter 2 is Paul saying, here are the plausible arguments that you don't need to fall for. And then chapter 3, chapter 3, he's going to walk in this, this, this really this beautifully compacted and somehow small but complete description of that robust walking in faith that, that you're called to, that belongs to you in place of those delusions. So he says here, beginning the argument proper, I say this so you won't be deluded, chapter 2, so that you'll walk in him, established, rooted, chapter 3. I say this, wait, that's verses 1 through 3. Here's the point. Before he sets out on that, he's telling you here, here is how this actually works. Here is how you'll be protected from delusion. And the how really has two parts. We can talk about them as the tools that God uses and the products that he gives you. And those tools and their products, that's how you are protected. I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. And all of those, that their hearts are being encouraged, being knit together in love. Now, there are, there are three tools that Paul is, is wielding here. And the first one's obvious. That's chapter 2 and chapter 3. It's, it's teaching. It's orthodoxy. God's Word is this primary tool, but not the only tool. And not, as it were, the tool that will work without the others. This is how he works. This obvious tool is teaching. And then God works by this announced tool. Paul's point here is, I want you to know that I'm struggling for you. Okay, Paul is several hundred miles away. What does he mean? Quite simply, we know this from all throughout his letters. When Paul talks about struggling for the churches, he means that he carries on a work of prayer, an ongoing work of calling upon God according to God's word, that God would work as the Lord Jesus deserves. And that is the tool. And the word alone, that's not how God works. God works by the word and by this struggle. And then there's not just this obvious tool and this announced tool, but there's an inconspicuous tool that God works to defend you against delusion. Notice how he speaks there. How great a struggle I have for you that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love. Fundamental, fundamental to how God works in protecting his church 
is knitting together the hearts of his people. Your heart as a heart, a heart by itself, is not how God works. God prays that your hearts, I mean, Paul prays that your hearts would be encouraged, being knit together. The, all the small, meeting all the small, the way they correspond, the way they interact, that there's a unity. And, and this language has in it a, a liveliness. This is the language that Paul uses in the, sort of the parallel passages in Ephesians about how the body is knit together by the growing vitality of, of the tissues and the sinews. These are the tools. God's word, prayer, and God's people together. And you have those three things here at Grace Presbyterian Church. However small you may feel, however sense of how do I know that God will work here? What do we? Will you know? Because he's laid the tools on the table. You don't have to be deluded. It's not inevitable, Paul says. And here's how God works. And you have those tools. Now, he speaks here of the tools that God uses and then the products. And I need to explain what I mean. Think of, a, um, think of a blacksmith with his anvil, his hammer, and the bellows and fire. Those are his tools. And he sets to work, sets to work, he bangs and he clangs, and he makes armor. It's the product of his work. He makes sword and, and pike. These tools put these products in the hands of people. And, and, and that's what Paul is praying for here. That's what the Word is written to do. That's what prayer and the Word among you together actually does. It outfits you. And, and he speaks really of three products, three things produced by this. First, he speaks of their hearts. And we'll come back to this. I want you to realize that he's saying that what God does is God handles your hearts. Your, your, your heart, that, that, that core of you, that understanding, that wondering, that deciding, that longing. The, what is it that makes a person important? It's no man's wealth. It's no man's sway. You know, a, a mother is not simply a bundle of skills? No, the heart is what makes people of the great important to others. We would talk about, oh, that the Lord would change the hearts of our neighbors. And that's really what he's talking about, that the way God protects you is by working on your heart. But he does this. Paul says he prays that your heart should be encouraged so that you reach, that you come to, that there's a development. You reach the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery. Now, this art, you could roughly describe this as 
subjective and objective that Paul is praying and the word is given and the work of the Spirit among you, it, it engenders. We pray for it too. It comes to us as life from the Spirit, the, this assurance. And to put it very simple, it's this realization, this settled, oh, Jesus has clued me in. I have heard Jesus, and I know that there's an understanding here that I can rest on. This assurance, it says, there's a lot I don't know. Um, there's a lot to learn, but I know Jesus, and I have this fundamental two feet on the ground, clear understanding. And I'm persuaded of that. Now, this assurance... It, um, it can ebb and flow. There are events that can, as it were, shock you out of it and make you go, wait a second, what am I doing? There are, we're, we're, we, we are fragile. We, we are influenceable. But this is what the work of God among his people works for, this, this assurance, this conviction. But not just subjective. It works for this objective knowledge, a knowledge of Christ who is the treasury of wisdom and knowledge, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Again, uh, that you would come to a knowledge of this mystery. And, and see, there's a, there's a fundamental point of simplicity. Uh, I have a PhD in historical theology, I've read a lot. The basic, the basic, this is the truth. Um, the, that's what Kate View and I enjoy. What we begin with, what we, we have, each of us. There's this basic point of simplicity that Christ is dead and raised for me. And everything comes from there. This is this treasure hidden. Remember, this is Matthew chapter 13, the way the Lord Jesus speaks of it. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. He uncovered the treasure. He looked at it. He covered it back up. He doesn't know how deep that hole went down. He doesn't know if it's all diamonds or mostly gold. He knows it's a treasure. It's there, and it's worth everything. That's this fundamental simplicity we have, that we know the mystery of Christ. And, and this is what Paul is praying. This is what the Lord is written for. This is what is passed between you. But it's not just a fundamental point of simplicity, this knowledge. It's a rich and vast treasury. Here in Colossians, Paul has been using the language of of wisdom for Christ. That, that, that divine, glorious richness that is, as it were, embroidered all through all that God has made. And the idea of hidden wisdom. Well, you might think of Job. Job is confronted with, he doesn't understand. 
but the language here, hidden, you have that treasure. Well, one of the things in Proverbs is expressed, it comes to light. Proverbs 25 says, It is the glory of God to conceal things, but the glory of kings is to search them out. God has hidden everything in the Lord Jesus, all truth, all understanding. And you are called to unpack it, to find out how it richly matches all the things. People can stack up the plausible arguments. And they are, and they're smart, and they're, 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 there's Marxism, there's consumerism, there's expressive individualism, there's all, all kinds of expressive, plausible arguments. And no, you don't have them figured out. You haven't gone through all that. But you can stand there, and you can kind of ramshackle through the treasury and go, oh, wait a second. Yeah, yeah, that's the real jewel. That's a counterfeit. Uh, oh, look at this. That's not the most important thing. That's a setting for something as beautiful as this. You have in Christ is what you know of the one who came, lived, died, and rose with your obligations. You had in that all the riches of understanding for everything in life in the universe. You don't have to be deluded because you are in the sense of it's in your pockets. The wisest, the most enlightened, the most apt and able of all people on the planet because you have that one fundamental point of simplicity, Christ himself. You know this. You have this knowledge. So that's, that's how God works. Paul is laying out for you. He's doing it there with the Colossians. We're observing it. But like the Colossians, we're in the same thing. We're confronted with the same things. We need those tools on the table. We need the, that blacksmith to set to work hot and sweaty and persistent. We need these products. Because this is how God is going to protect you from delusion. And, and, and Paul, he, he doesn't really use the military language here, except it's in the background. When, when he describes them as built up in faith and established, he's starting to use what kind of military language. And will come up later in the letter. I, I just want you to appreciate that this concern for delusion, this concern for wisdom and that God would work by his word in answer to prayer. This is much of what's going on in the letter of Ephesians. The, the, the parallel to this is Paul's praying in chapter 3 of Ephesians, his discussion of the armor of God in chapter 6. And you just have to understand that, that, that God is a warrior. That he fights for his people. Um, this is a beautiful statement. This is the prophet of Zeph Zephaniah, speaking of what God will do. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save you. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. In Zephaniah's language, you are the valuable booty taken in his conquest. You are the things captured and taken home 
showing his greatness and the glory of his house. Not, not slaves. No. Goodly, golden, wrought works of beauty. That, that's the way Zephaniah describes you because God's a warrior who fights for his people. You need to understand, in Christ, you fight along with him. We'll get to chapter 3, and, and Paul speaks very frankly. Put to death your sins. Put to death what is bound up and closed up in the earth. He calls you to a fighting. And the way he speaks of the tools God uses, he puts those tools in your hands. So these basic products, this assurance and this discovery of Christ's victory, this is yours. And, and I, really, I really need to plead with you because we live in a time and a place where I don't want to be rude, but, but, but Christian faith is it's often, I don't know if you want to say reduced or it's limited, it comes out as sentiments as simply expressions of feeling and vagary that has no heft to it. It, it simply has to say, I know God is good, I'm going to stop thinking about this. Oh, God is better than that. And I just have to plead with you to, to look for and take the resources to be instructed in His Word. I... Um, I am preaching to you that you would hear God's voice today. That this passage, you would, would, would hear your Father's voice saying to you. And not saying everything. How could he say everything to us at once? And I could criticize myself here saying, well, I've tried that. I'm, I'm prone to try. This is, we're here for worship. We're here to hear God speak to us. And you need to learn more. That's what Sunday school is about. That's what Wednesday is about. And I plead with you that, that you would seek this out, that you not think, well, I'm just a simple Christian. I, I can't, you know, do those, I read books. Yes, you can read books. Um, Jonathan's been a teacher. He's been teaching theology. He'd do that for you. I, I taught high school for a decade. Um, I worked with college students. Basically, my job as a college student is I was a tutor. I talked to people. I helped them find books that were what would get at what they were wondering about. And then I talked to them. They would come and say, I didn't understand this book. That's great. You read it. And you have questions. You can learn. I plead with you. This is not some nerdy, geeky, you know, Presbyterians are into theology. No. I don't want you not to be deluded. And I didn't just say you're an idiot or that you have something against God's word. No, you have Christ. You have all the riches in your lap. You need to unpack them. You need to become accustomed to what's beautiful and glorious and yours. Because that's how God protects you. And we, we need to think about our praying. Yeah, I, I will be frank. Paul prayed for y'all. We'll see in John 17. Jesus 
praised not only for his disciples, but those who will believe through him. That's you, Becky. Jesus prayed for you. And we're called to pray. This is how God works. Now, it's really easy to go pray. I, I, I'm not sure if I know how to do that. Like, I don't know if I could pray long enough to work up a sweat, which is what it sounds like with Paul. How did he do that? Very simply, he listened. The reason Paul can pray a great deal is because he's heard a great deal about what God has promised, about what God is doing, about why Christ is worthy. It's a, a simple mechanic, and then we'll look at explanation. You can pray by reading your Bible and finding the things that are sweet in your ears. I mean that. Follow your sense of taste. This is good. I like this. And you pray that for other people. What the basic sort of mechanics. When we come together to pray, please, pull out that sweet passage. Pray, you may only have one passage that you're like, I get this, I long for this. Then pray it every time we're together. Because you're right. But there's a little explanation. What's Paul doing? He's looking at what God has said. And he's looking at God's people. And he's realizing that God has worked in the Son. And so he looks at what God has said, and he looks at God's people and says, that looks the same. That's astounding. That's beautiful. Oh my gosh. That's like dead people getting up and having a party. Or he looks at God's word and he says, this is what God's called us to and promised us. We don't look like that. Wait, there's one person in this crowd that looks like that. Jesus looks like that. Jesus is doing that. The one who we are in. Well, all of those folks should just be rich with what Jesus has. And I want that for them. And I pray for them. And that means you pray for people, might be me, who do the same I don't know, oafish, goofish, stupidish, whatever. We're, we're, you know, again, again. And you pray for that. And you go, Lord, please help him. Please. I know he wants to do better. Lord, that's how you work up a sweat. You know the beauty that he's promised. You see the people who should have it. And you want the Lord Jesus to be glorified. not just smarts in the words and on the paper or even repeated that God uses. He works through the prayers of his people. He hears us calling out and he delights to give us what has, has made us longing. And so, so the product, this assurance and this knowledge of Christ, that's in your hands. These tools, word, prayer, and love, thing about this one thing about that, take hold of. Um, we live in a time and place where the gospel has been splashed all over. And there are many people that you're going to meet and know who profess faith in Christ, and they're not knit together with anyone. They're not part of any group that's rich with the word and prayer and love. 
And, you know, it's really easy to go, oh, this is really rude to say. I don't really think I'm sure if that person's a Christian. Well, yeah, how could you know? You're not really that involved with them. But you can sure say, if a Christian is not knit together with God's people, I expect they'd end up living a lot of delusions. And there's nothing so sad as that. So, so really, while we're working to love one another, you need to realize there are other people who need to be brought in. They need to be knit in. Because that's how God protects and nourishes his people. But the big central product, the thing that he says he prays for is your heart. And you need to understand that God's word, the prayers of those who know you, the way they talk with you and interact with you, it's going to get fingers on your heart. They're gracious fingers, but someone's hand on my heart. That's a little bit, um, I, that makes me nervous. But, but that's essentially what God's saying, aiming at your heart. And, and you're being encouraged. You're being persuaded. All of this is going to get opened up. The richness of this as we go through chapter 2 or 3. Just when he says praying for your heart, He's praying for what it tastes like when you wake up in the morning. What's this, what is this place? Where am I? Who am I? The, the aroma when people come into your family at your table. What? Does it taste like compulsion? Does it taste like you're being given just enough does it taste like, no, this isn't what you are living for. You're someone else's tool. Does it taste like slavery? Because you in Christ have been redeemed. Oh, yes, we'll speak of you as God's servants. God's servants are holy ones. You, you have an exalted place. No, you are his children. And yes, we can talk about indwelling sin and there are days when, when you're going to have to say to someone, I kind of am acting like I'm in chains. Yes, you have to confess that. But, but you need to know. And this is the thing that has to be worked at with prayer and the word over and over. We ebb and flow. You are his child. You're no longer a slave. I asked a question last week. I tried to ask it in an isolated piercing way in the middle of a lot, a lot of other things, but do you find yourself despicable? Do, do, do you have a sense of yourself as sure glad Jesus saved me because everything else is just embarrassing. You are his holy ones. Zephaniah, you are the booty that he has captured, that when he is carried out his warfare, when he stands up victorious over his enemy, he clutches and holds up and says, I am the winner because they are mine. That's what your heart has to have the taste of. 
you know, the, the, the wonderful thing about living together with other Christians is that that does, it produces an aroma in the household, in the, in the room. It's what, to come into a place where these people treat one another like they are God's own children, his holy ones. Do you need to be encouraged? Do, do you, are you miserable? I, I, there's sadness. I've walked through, I am walking through, all kinds of sadness. But your heart needs to be shaped by the fact that you are beloved. That is what it means to be in Christ. And this is how he works. This is how he woos us and brings us in. Maybe kicking and screaming. This is how he protects us. How, and we need protection. There's all kinds of whack stuff coming at you. And yes, you have enemies that want to make you into a fool. And, and this is how he makes us shine with his word and prayer, all working people together with this primary thing, that you and your heart would be persuaded. Uh, um, not every night, maybe most night, I pray this prayer. This is from Paul. I pray this for Anna and I. Paul prays, Ephesians 3, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Paul says to you, I don't want you to be deluded. I want you to walk with a robustness, the robustness of someone who is just realize that there is life from the dead, that they are received as God's beloved. I, I want that for you. And so I'm telling you, I pray, I labor, that together with the people in your church and other churches, he, he mentioned, that, that, that you would come to a conviction, a knowledge of the treasure that you have, that your hearts would be persuaded. You are the apple of his eye. Pray with me. This I want, Father, for me, for my brothers and sisters, that your son would be glorified, that we would delight in what he has achieved for us, that you would make us even, Father, dispensers of wealth, that in the land of counterfeits and counterfeits that urge us and threaten us, we could give out your gold of peace and promise and Christ could be the delight of many others. Glorify him in us, we pray in your son, Father. Amen. Uh, pick up your hymnal and we will sing number 731. Blessed Assurance. Oh, 693, 693, ignore that little man behind the paper. Um.
of the living and true God taken from Colossians 3 let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God Amen. Mm -hmm. 